Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 264 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to start today's show with a poem from Akash Mandal. Dust sleeping on your bookshelf and all your plants are drying out. You are too busy to save yourself. Is your mind heading for burnout? Coffee rings on your bedside table. Anxiety pills under your pillowcase. Working round the clock to foot the bill. Is there no time for breakfast these days? Friends haven't seen you in a while. Your phone is always out of reach. You're slowly forgetting how to smile. Is your silence a figure of speech? Life can sometimes seem to be unfair, but hoping is better than you think. Send the message in a bottle if you dare. Is it so hard to not force yourself to sink? I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So... If you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey there, how are you? I've got to admit, I'm absolutely cream-crackered, which means knackered in English rhyming slang, which means pretty tired. (laughs) If you're a regular listener, you will have noticed that there's been a little gap between shows. And it's something that I've been beating myself up for. But I set the intention at the beginning of the year to do things out of inspiration, not obligation. And I just needed a bit of a break. We've been full on preparing for my new play, which premiered last week. And it was uh, a great success. So I'm really thrilled and grateful for that. Uh, And ironically, after doing the last podcast about writing a eulogy, We also had a family bereavement, which has thrown a lot of things up in the air. So my mind and body said, Sarah, you need to make some space. And I honoured that. But it's so hard to slow down, whether you're in the corporate world or you're a business owner. And so many people advocate hustling. This hustle culture means grinding every day, rising super early and putting the hours in now So you can relax when the money comes rolling in. After all, you can sleep when you're dead, can't you? Layer on top of that, the launch culture, which is in the online uh, education and coaching space, which obviously I'm a part of. uh, And this basically means the cycle of promoting your course or program for a limited window of time to pump up sales using urgency and scarcity. And whilst... Hustle and launch can be effective strategies to grow your business. Many people are burning out and they're desperate to get off the treadmill. But the trouble is, especially with this sort of launch model, it's really difficult for them to see a way out of the golden handcuffs. But that's where my guest and my own coach, Ross O'Loughlin, comes in. Ross is a former engineer turned copywriter 
who's blended his talent for problem solving and building systems with his ability to engage an audience with his storytelling flair. And he's really good and he's very funny. He often makes me chuckle uh, when we're working together, when I read his emails and uh, also it's got a great sense of humour. And the result of this combination is a new way of looking at marketing that is getting incredible results. Today, his company, Conversion Engineering, is like an oasis in the desert of burnt out business owners who were looking for a way to get off the feast and famine sales roller coaster. And when Ross started his company up, he was so confident in this new model that he built his entire business by getting paid on results rather than charging upfront fees, which is something that's very unusual. So in this show, we're going to be dismantling some myths about sales that might be sabotaging your business and your health. Look at how to create your USP and how Ross uses stories to engage his audience. And he's also going to be showing you how you can build a sustainable business that gets you sales every day without using pressure tactics or burning yourself out. So without further ado, let's switch over to listen to Ross. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Ross O'Loughlin. Thank you very much, Sarah. I'm delighted that we're going to get to chat. I think we've been talking about doing this uh, interview for a while now, but the, the stars never align, so I'm thrilled that we're finally getting to, to do it. Absolutely. I know you've got so much uh, value to share with my audience, but let's go back, back to the start, if you like. Now, you started off as an engineer and then switched into copywriting, which isn't a natural progression, potentially people mm. might think. So how did that all come about? Yeah, um, it's a really good, really good question. So uh, the background context, uh, like I come from a family of engineers. And so my dad's a computer engineer. He studied like computer science back in the 70s when you know computers were the size of the of the room and uh and cost a small fortune like we weren't having like the smart super phones in our pocket uh and his dad was an engineer he was a civil engineer uh he even taught professor he taught in, in university college galway um one of the big universities in ireland uh, and then on the other side of my family my mom's father was also an engineer he was a refrigeration engineer and if you look at all the male cousins in my family like a half of them are, are in engineering. So um, my, my destiny was kind of uh, <laughs> going in that direction anyway. Uh, and when I was in school, I was like, I could do math. I was attracted to math and uh, to physics and to chemistry. And I scored much higher in those than the other subjects. Um, languages, I'm not really all that capable of compared to my brother, who's like, he speaks fluent Spanish and he's, you know, very good at all the other ones. Uh, and so I was just, you know, when you have those strengths, you kind of, you know, the education system kind of ends, points you in a direction of uh, avoiding catastrophe, if that makes sense, right? Like risk minimization. And so my parents steered me towards engineering because if you get an engineering degree, like you're not, you know, you're pretty much, pretty much set. You know what I mean? Like you mightn't be rolling in dough but like you're gonna get a solid job like your prospects are good you mightn't be engineering forever but you can you'll your you get your problem solving capabilities and training will will be valuable to people so i was kind of steered in that direction you know underneath all of that 
I did have a creative side. Like I was one of those kids that drew. I also did art in high school. And the uh, the A's I got in secondary school, uh, is it secondary school in the UK as well? I'm used to saying high school yes. for my US, yeah. my US clients. Uh, so in secondary school, the A's I got were in uh, chemistry, in physics, and in art, uh, in the practical side of the art. I did not get an A in the in the art history. Um, so like creating was something that I really enjoyed. And I had a lot of friends, like I would be the guy that was hanging out with the other artists and whatnot, but I also had the the math brain and that was kind of the safer, safer bet. So I ended up doing engineering uh, and I got a work placement with Intel through mm-hmm. university. Like, yeah, like my first year engineering grades were amazing. I was nearly top of the class, but the reason for that was it was just a repeat of the secondary school final year. Uh, Cause they had to bring everyone up to speed on the topics that they may not have done. And I like aced all those. So I like barely had to do any study. I thought I was hot shit. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> university is easy. Like I'm meant to be an engineer, but I had a, I had a rude awakening in year two. Uh, and that started with a work placement at Intel where um, it was top work placement Intel. Like for those that don't know it, semiconductor uh, processing company, uh, huge, like it, coveted as one of the greatest places to work as a mechanical engineer and i got in there and i discovered that you know as cool as the company may be working at a giant multinational corporation is was not fun for me like i was i i very quickly realized putting me in that kind of literally in a cubicle on a floor full of cubicles where the impact you're going to make on any single project even if you're top performing is like a drop in the bucket of their their overall productivity. I just I was I was miserable, and I was you know, said to myself, you know, like if this is the where all the engineers want to be, I don't think I want to be an engineer. So, um, the lesson I took away from that was I'm doing the wrong kind of engineering. So I went and I did a master's degree in civil engineering, and I worked for a software company. Um, in in Canada, an environmental compliance software company. And that was good. That was good. I enjoyed it. But the other underlying kind of thread in my life was I had always done writing. So I had kind of done writing and, and art as just kind of things I was interested in. And I was quite good at them, but not world class um, by any means. But, you know, these are kind of two underlying strengths that I never kind of leaned into. And then when I got to that software company, it's a small software company that had no marketing department. And they were looking for someone to to like read some new environmental regulations, understand them, and then write like a, a white paper guide for some of our clients. And I was like, yeah, I, I could do that. Like in engineering university, like group work, I was not the guy that would be down the lab doing the <laughs> extra work and getting the data. But I was the guy at the end of the project where I was like, just reading the stuff the guys had written. I was like, that's my, just give me, give me the stuff. I'll write the paper. I'll clean this up. And I, it was just easy for me to do that. Um, and I, again, just assumed that they were bad at it. I didn't think that I was like good at it. When they discovered that they let me loose. They, mm-hmm. they said, Hey, do you, do you want to like take over the, the content creation? I had done some web design in the past because I grew up around computers with my dad um, I was a child of the internet in the 90s. Uh, and this kind of experience with web design and ability to create content just naturally was like, well, do you want to take over creating content for the website? I was like, sure. 
And that sent me down a whole rabbit hole because I was like, well, what is marketing? You know, it was kind of a thing I had been steered away from as like, you know, a lot of non-business people think business and marketing is like this special superpower that you have to have. And I had just assumed that you just needed to be trained in that the same way you need to be trained in engineering. And boy, was I, was I wrong? There's a lot of people that are not <laughs> trained in it doing it. Um, but I discovered copywriting through that, right? Like, well, how do you get someone to take action when they come to a page? Like creating content for the website is one thing, but like what the business really wanted was people signing up for a demo of software. And then my engineering mind was applied to that. Well, how do we, how do we, how do you solve that problem? And of course that problem is marketing. <laughs> and as I went down the rabbit hole of marketing, like studying I love marketing with Dean Jackson as a podcast. I was studying HubSpot with their inbound marketing approach. And it was like a whole new world. And copywriting was the thing that really surfaced for me through that process. It was like, how do you get someone to take action? Like, right, that, that seemed to be the big problem that everyone was ha having was you could get a million visits to your website. But if no one is taking action, it's pointless. And how do you get action? people to take action? Well, you need to you need to have good copy. And that was the kind of perfect combination of the science and math training yeah. and analysis and testing that I had done in engineering, along with these two underlying kind of interests in creative visual, like art and, and writing. And it was just like a match made in heaven where I was like, yeah, I think, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, and the rest, the rest was, uh, was history. As you might say. <laughs> well, it's really, it's, you have got an absolute flair for it. Because I remember, because, well, Ross is one of my coaches and uh, he's absolutely fantastic. And one of the ways that I, so I saw an ad, or I remember seeing an ad for your book, mm -hmm. Open Every Day. And then I'm like, I always want to see an ad. And I'm like, yeah, but who is the person behind the ad? So I went off and did a little sort of search on on Ross and I discovered mm. some blogs that he'd written and one about the UFC was one that really, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And um, I, can you tell me a bit more about that? Because I thought it was excellent. How did that, because that really sort of, I think was a bit of a launch pad from, for you, sort of reading up around you for this interview. Tell me a bit more about mm. that and what you, what you discovered and, and what happened. Yeah, like it's it's interesting. So I speak about like being a writer and I, I think everyone to an extent is kind of a writer, even if you're not able to like write really well. Um, like there are things that sometimes you just need to like get out and to, to create. Um, and there's been a few moments in my life where I have felt the urge to like go down a rabbit hole and I'm just like totally fascinated with the thing. And then I emerge from that rabbit hole and I just have a need to just like, I, I, it's just a visceral, like I need to like create this thing and I have no idea what I'm doing. I literally, I'm, I'm channeling something. And I think everyone is kind of like this at various elements in your life. But anytime I've had that feeling, it's usually a sign that I'm moving on to another level like that that it's kind of a new chapter almost has started um and it's 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 funny i i'm getting married in in two months in june and one of the feelings i had was to write a letter uh to my now fiance future wife that was another one of those moments but going back to mm -hmm. to the usc question i there's a guy called conor mcgregor which i'm sure everyone has heard and the story was that i was paying attention to conor 
I don't know why. Again, one of those just, there are times in my life where I just know I need to pay attention to something. And I was watching every video clip of him I could find. And it was kind of inspiring. Like Connor's now this controversial figure and he's made a whole bunch of money and like people, when they earn a lot of money, become weird. But <laughs> when he was up and coming, he was so inspirational because he was unapologetic. He was amazing at what he did. And he was bucking this trend and idea in Ireland that like, well, Irish people aren't world class at anything, right? Our Irish people will never be number one. Like our soccer team is not good. Our rugby team is good, but we're, we're good at like from a, from a performing on the world stage. Like it's quite a small country and like, you know, boxing, horse riding, rugby. Those are about the only three things that Ireland are consistently like world-class at and would be able to punch above their weight. There was no one in the UFC who had ever done anything like Conor McGregor as an Irish person. And he, he had a lot of doubters around him. He had a lot of doubters around him who were saying there would be, never be any Irish UFC champion. There's a lot of that in Ireland, like begrudgery and like fatalism. Like, why would you even have dreams? Never, don't even bother trying. You're a fucking idiot if you think any Irish person is ever going to amount to anything, right? We blame the Brits for that, but <laughs> but um, so I, I just like Connor was bucking all those trends and he had an irrational confidence and it was happening at a time in my life where I was trying to have belief in myself and it just, he totally resonated with me. And my coach at the time, a guy called um, Kevin Rogers, his, his big message was create authority content. If you want to be seen as an authority, if you want to be hired as a marketing expert to copywriter, people has to see you. People have to see you as an authority that can help them. And the way you do that is by writing about your experience and relating your life experience to your domain of, of, of whatever it was. And so I had gone down the rabbit hole of Connor's world and I had paid attention to him and learned a whole bunch of lessons from him. And I actually wrote an article about Connor McGregor that put me on the, the, the radar of, um, uh, of Dean Jackson, who became another friend and, and mentor. Um, but at the same time, in my marketing kind of initial down the rabbit hole that I told you about earlier, like when I was first learning about it, I, I, I attached onto copywriting, but within copywriting, the 80-20 of like the thing that actually makes that work is a unique setting proposition, right? I had found a handful of people, two or three people that I was like, these are the guys you got to listen to. These are like the real, this is like the original thinkers. And all of them were expressing yeah, it's your value proposition. It's your unique selling proposition. If that's not there, the rest is uh, just window dressing, really. And I, I studied that a lot. And I, again, lack of belief. I didn't realize how much I knew after studying and like mastering the content from multiple sources. And Kevin Rogers said, you know, there are very few copywriters who know more about crafting a unique selling proposition than you do. Um, you should probably create some content around that. And I was kind of paying attention to the UFC. And then I also had this underlying mastery of how to craft a unique selling proposition. And I was seeing how UFC was using unique selling propositions to sell their events. And I wrote an article, um, how, to, how to sell like the UFC. And that article like blew up. Because I wrote it at a time when it was like the UFC was kind of peak penetration in the in the mindset of the market. Like it was Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey were the biggest stars. And like they were pushing the UFC onto this new level of public awareness because Ronda Rousey was like this 
female who was just kicking ass and she was dominating anyone and there had been no superstar like her. And she was fighting Holly Holm and Holly Holm was going to be like the lady that was finally going to be able to beat Ronda Rousey. And they released the article in, you know, off the back of UFC spending, I don't know how much money to promote this fight in the public sphere. And my article kind of crested in on that wave where I was kind of writing this marketing article around the UFC when it was clear, my God, the UFC know how to sell. And that got a lot of attention from a number of people. Uh, some people I didn't even know in the industry. Like there was people commenting on the article and my mentor, Kevin, was like, remember that comment. That guy is a legend. And he was telling me that like he's never read an article as, as good about unique selling propositions ever. And so that, again, kind of filled me with more confidence, but also put my name out there as like, you know, someone who not, not in any sense was like top of the food chain, but oh yeah, that guy knows what he's talking about. And I had, I saw a lot of people in the industry saying, this is amazing uh, and acknowledging it as like, wow, what a piece. And that, that kind of pushed me on in terms of confidence and, and ability and got me a whole bunch of business. Um, and that was kind of a real launch pad for the following, the following uh, kind of chapter of that copywriting career. Yeah. Well, I think it would probably be remiss of me because I know if I was listening to this one of the things that I'd want to know is you being a USP or you know you're you're you've grown since then in terms of what you do but Mm. how you know there was one of the things that I think I read was how you can craft a brilliant USP in just three words and so Mm. I wondered if you could share that maybe you know we people listening to the show there is a lot of coaches, consultants, speakers. Um, any tips for them around this? Yeah, so so I think the essence that you want to be going for, you know, you've done this really well, is being able to boil it down to that. Um, like if I was to say uh, for for the experts and the coaches and the, the speakers in your audience, um, if I was to boil it down to three words, it would be, why choose you, right? Um. And well, the answer is really going to be like, I, I think particularly for like the personality speaker experts based stuff is um, the answer to that is be only yourself, right? Like you need to know who you're talking to and you need to have clear boundaries around. This is, I would say, clear, when I say clear boundaries, I mean, clear constraints, understanding frame on, I have these people with these things, Right. And I help them do it in this way. And I help them do it in this way because I have this unique method. Like if you can boil it down to like being able to clearly articulate those things, you know, people will look at you and go, oh, okay. Like, how do you do that? I'm interested. So for example, with me, right, I help experts and, and, and coaches and I help them sell online programs. And I help them do it in a certain way, which is we do it without the launch model and without all the fake scarcity and the fake urgency, right? Now, with those kind of three things, like we've kind of very quickly eliminated a whole bunch of people from the conversation. You either know that you're an expert or a coach or you're not. If you are, breathe. This is relevant to me. We know what we're talking about getting done the result or the job we're trying to do, which is sell on online programs. You're either trying to improve or change the way that you're selling online programs or you don't, right? Um, 
if you are, we're now in the conversation. And now it's like, well, what kind of result are you looking for when you're doing that thing? And for my clients, they're trying to move away from the launch model. They've kind of launched their stuff and they're looking for more consistency and they want to do it without in a, in a certain way, right? Like when we started working together, it's kind of, you shared with me, I don't want to, it's a very British thing, right? Like I don't really want to be selling. Like the, the marketing and sales in Britain is very different to marketing and sales in the United, in the United States, right? US is way more bombastic and salesmanship is far more culturally acceptable, right? Um, and for some British people, they just don't want to be seen as that. You, you want the sales, but you don't want to be the salesy person. And there's mm. some people, a lot of people in the US that want to be that way as well. But a lot of internet marketing is very, very US hyper sales oriented, which is fine and great and actually is wonderful in its own weird way, as long as it's done ethically. Um, but like if you, you either want to do that job or that way, or you don't. And if you do, Ross has a, a way of doing it. He has his own system. He has his own method, right? The open everyday system and we're able to do it this way. Now, I'm not the only person I would say that does serves that market to do that job in this way. And I'm sure they all have their own unique mechanism as well, right? Mine might have a bit more credibility than others. It probably has less credibility than some others as well but it's got some credibility so you can believe it works. And then it comes down to, well, is Ross my guy or not? And I think that's really why I said that second part of like be only yourself is, you know, when people are looking for experts, like they're not just looking for the knowledge. They're not just looking for what you've got to say and your content, but you need you, the table stakes is you can get the results and you're, you have a track record. But beyond that, there's, there's this other element, right? Which is who's the person delivering the message? And is that the right person for us? Because there's plenty of other people out there that teach what I'm teaching and show people how to do what I'm doing. Like it's a very competitive space. But people come to me because they resonate with my style and my background. And they're looking for something that they see in me. And it's the only competitive advantage, the only um, sustainable, and I would say unclonable competitive advantage is you being you. You're the only person that can be you and there's no one better at it than you. So how do you infuse that into your marketing and, and, and your approach and, and, and build, build from there, I would say. So being able to boil all that down to three words is, is going to be like difficult. But if you can get into those three areas first and get clear on those, it's a starting point. Um, and over time, the uniqueness of you will will emerge, I think, through doing the work with with the marketplace, right? I, I'd actually, I'd bounce it over to you. You've been in my world. If you were to kind of <laughs> share my unique setting proposition with me, this is a great exercise to do for everyone else, right? Like, what does your market say about you? Like, why does your market choose you? Like from your experience and, and you, there's no right or wrong answer to this, Sarah, and this is not pre-rehearsed, but like, why, what is it about what you see in, you know, me and my approach that, that got you to say, well, I'm going to choose Ross over others. So I think, um, well, many things, but particularly, you know, I think this will come across to people that are listening as well, is that you are, I don't know if you've heard the term WYSIWYG, like it's really, what you see is what you get. There's no mm. like 
fakeism. You are totally authentic. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're very quirky. I love, there's an Irish saying, which is don't let those before you go by you, which is like, you can, that's that sort of personality thing. So there's mm-hmm. lots of things that Ross does that makes me crack up in a good way. But there's that mm-hmm. that sort of gelling in terms of, I think I can work with this guy. I get him. Yeah. I think he will get me um, and what I do. And just the, you know, the, the results as well, like, and he cares, I think. So all of those things put together that, you know, complete authenticity, definitely absolutely knows his stuff and can back it up, but yet doesn't promise, doesn't make promises, which are, you know, not, you know, he's believable and credible and just really a great guy. Um, So that's what I would say in terms of, you know, being in your world. I'm not asking to answer that so that people in the audience will, will. uh, No, no, I'm not. I'm just being completely honest, you know. Totally. And and thank you for that. But like for everyone else listening, like notice that like what Sarah said, like there was most of it was Ross is himself. Yeah. And I can trust him and what you see is what you get. And like, like, right. But the also this kind of like, I like Ross. He is like me. There are parts that like I see of myself in him. There's parts of him that I would like to see in myself. Right. There's there's, there's that whole thing that you basically just uh, described. But in there, you also had. Well, the results and 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 whatnot are there, hmm. right? And so, the re- if we were to double click in on that, what you would actually say is, well, he's able to get results. He's got a track record of getting results for people like me trying to do the job I'm trying to do in a way that I want to do it. Like he kind of wrapped all that just in. Yeah. The, well, the results are there, right? Yeah. But the the rest, like, notice how important, like everything you said was when I'm choosing someone to work with. And I would say a coach is an expert that you're hiring for a specific reason. Like most of what you said was around, around that, which is why, like, if you're trying to fake being someone else, or if you think I need to be this way to try and get people, like, it's just the right clients are going to smell out a mile away and they're not, they're not, they're not going to, they're not going to choose you. Right. So I think that's why I would boil it down to like, be only yourself because I'm the, I'm a perfect fit for some people. I am a horrible choice for others trying to do anything, but let those people sort themselves into those two categories is just going to create a nightmare scenario for my own business. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the real, the real trick is how do I do that, but do it with as many people as possible. Yeah. Because yeah. then you get more of the right people choosing you or these are the right people and more of the wrong people, like not choosing you. Which is what and I think, I think, Ross, I think this is also a really important point. And, you know, I've got hung up on this in the past and still occasionally do, and other people do, you know, when you look on the internet and you see, you know, we're not, if you're in a niche that is working, there's likely to be competition out there and you yeah. can get hung up on what everyone else is doing and get stalled and undermined and all that sort of thing. But this is the point that, that Ross is making, which is there is no one like you and you know the people that are for you will come to you so you have to be yourself because that's the only way you're going to get the people that are right for you so comparisonitis is just a waste of your energy i think totally now there's two qualifiers i'd put on that which is one like you know obviously you need to be a version of yourself Mm -hmm. right like when you're on stage i would say you probably want to turn the energy up like when i'm here i'm not talking to my my, my fiance in this, in this manner, like all the time, 
I do do it sometimes, but, but like, yeah, you know, you're turning the energy up. That's one thing. And then there's going to be, you know, on stage you versus off stage you, but like on stage, you isn't a different person. It's just you with the energy turned up. So you're more engaging. Right. And it's you with, you know, a certain number of things that you want to be sharing, but what you're sharing is coming from your authentic experience. Right. And it's, it's what it's, you sharing your beliefs and 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 what you suggest people do based again on your experience based on your you know authentic self as some would say right like what you have learned and sharing that um like you don't want to be getting up on stage and you know picking your nose and eating the oreos oh, no. like we do no, all, no. like we all do on the couch <laughs> at some stage right yeah absolutely but 100 and that, that'd be the, the the first qualifier um and then the second thing i would say is Definitely like look at what is working out there. Like don't look at the competition and worry about what they're doing because that's a, that's a scarcity based mindset. You do want to look at the competition and the general marketplace to understand well, what is everyone else seeing? Like the mistake a lot of people make is like, well, the competition is doing this. We need to do this. As if like, if you don't do what the competition is doing, you're somehow going to miss out. I'm the complete opposite. I'm like, what's the competition doing? How do I do the complete opposite of that? Because that's what's going to create contrast. And then some people are going to go, I don't want that, but I want this, <laughs> right? Like, and so it's, it's about being aware of, okay, what are the principles of marketing that I need to apply? Like you need to send some emails. You need to create content. You need to, you need to have a, a certain things, but how you do those things and what you're doing needs to be based on what works for you, not what is apparently working for the competition. Because a lot of people do a lot of marketing that is not effective. So copying and pasting someone else's, some competition's marketing, thinking, oh, this is what's going to work for me is like, that's a surefire way to get yourself in trouble for sure. I love that. Great stuff. Cool. Okay. Right. So let's let's move on. I think this is sort of in the in the ballpark as well of what we've been talking about. So mm. you, I read you say this once that there is a difference between customer logic and company yep. logic, and I think you were critiquing a bit of um, content that a company had put out. What what do you mean by that? Yeah. <clears throat> so this is a concept I learned from Dr. Flint McLaughlin who I would consider one of the preeminent, preeminent marketing thinkers on the planet. I say that to make myself sound sophisticated. Um, <laughs> no, but he's a genius. He's a, he's a guy from um, a company called Mech Labs. Um, and he talks about customer logic versus um, company logic. And it, was, it resonated with me immensely because I was working in a lot of companies, uh, big companies like Intel and this software company I mentioned before. Big companies are so detached from the customer that they don't even know what world the customer operates in. Because like your most businesses are are not talking to the customer. There are, there are maybe a handful of people in that company that are talking to the customer. Everyone else is surviving and trying to operate within the company, right? And what do employees do? What's the what, what's an employee's main job? It's to, it's to not get fired, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's job number one is don't get fired. 
Job number two is provide enough value so I can like not get fired, <laughs> right? And within companies, like there's all these discussions that go on and we're going to redo the website. And what do people do when they try to redo the website? It's like, well, we're doing all this stuff. How do we communicate what we're doing to the world? And I see this a lot with businesses is like, we're like, okay, let's work on your offer. And it's like, okay. And then we like boil it down to like, one outcome and three things and try to simplify it. And they're like, yeah, but I do all this other stuff. Like, how do I make sure they know I do this? And it's, it's completely the wrong way around. What they're trying to do is say, here's all of me. How do I communicate this to you? Or more importantly, how do I make this make sense to me? And then how do I go to the market and tell them this is who I am, right? That's organizing you and your organization and your marketing through Company logic, which is here's how our company makes sense. Which part of this company do you want? That is completely different to the reality that of every human on the planet, which is the customer has a problem. They are in pain. They do not give a shit about you, your company, or anyone else because we're all bombarded with a gazillion messages like I, like every time i hear the latest number of how many marketing messages we're, go, we're exposed to on a daily and weekly basis the numbers are just getting higher i don't even it's just noise at this stage and we're all now experts in filtering that out and the number one way to get filtered out by the market is to just be have <laughs> communicating about yourself right that's not that's not how the market our our customers look through the world they're looking through the world through their own sense of perspective, which is I have this problem. I'm stuck. I don't have a solution. How do, what do I, what am I doing? You're just looking for a solution to that problem, right? The reticular activating system. You are, your brain is so finely tuned to find things that are relevant to your reality. Everything else becomes invisible. And it's like the red shirt principle, right? Like, you don't see any, if I ask you to be like, hey, did you see anyone in a red shirt in the last 10 minutes? If you're downtown, you're like, no. Then for the next five minutes, you just can't stop seeing people with red shirts everywhere because you're now, your, your brain is now looking for that thing. And that's how it works when customers are looking for solutions. And if you're not communicating, if you're not organizing your marketing with the lens of customer logic, i.e. what is this, what is our market actually looking for? And how do we be, how does we make our marketing become that like you're just you're going to fail like it's just un unless you have a ridiculous huge budget that you can and you're selling something extremely expensive that you can afford to just saturate the market you're just it's going to be so inefficient for you that it's just not going to be worthwhile i love that and um i, I when i work with people on their pitches i say something which is don't share who you are until you make them care who you are which is yes. kind of it's you know because if you put who you are at the front no one no one remembers and no one cares until they know you can do something for them which is which is what you're saying about the most which is really really cool excellent okay now again it, we might have just covered this i don't know you talk about being tuned into the dialogue of your customers mm. can you expand on that yeah exactly so so Springboard off exactly that, right? Um, cu customer logic. H how do you how do you now make your marketing about what the customer is looking for? I will tell you, I have so many clients and there's so many people in the world that will do absolutely anything 
to find an answer to that that does not involve talking to the customer. <laughs> you would not believe the technical complicated solutions that people would like to go to to avoid talking to another human and getting into conversation and saying, yo, what's going on in your world, right? The dialogue, there's a, the, one of the, um, one of the, like most valuable lessons was from a, uh, in the world of copywriting and, and direct response and marketing was from a guy called Robert Collier. He wrote the, uh, the, I can't remember the name of the book. I think it was the Robert Collier letter book or whatever it was. And he says, you must enter the conversation already happening in the mind of the market, because that is what is going to get attention, right? Back to the USC thing, right? Like the reason that my thing did so well was because what was in the minds of the market at the time? Ronda Rousey and the UFC, right? And so people were already paying attention to that. And I was like, oh, let's pay attention to that plus this other thing. And away we go. Like I just so much free attention and free sharing. It was, it was, it was, it was insane. Now, as a marketer, as a business owner, as a speaker, you're probably paying all those three roles in your business if you're listening to Sarah's podcast. Um, like you need to understand what your customer's talking about, what's relevant to them. What is, how are they describing the problem, right? Like one of the, the, the experts curse, right? We all talk about this. You know so much about your problem that, that you can't help but look at your client and instantly see their actual problem. And if you talk about that, what happens? It just goes right over their head and they could not care less, right? Like you need to understand how are they talking about the problem? How are they even seeing the problem? And how do you communicate about that? And then lead them to, well, actually, the real problem is this other thing. And I have the solution if you would like it. But the dialogue is, is so important to just like stay in contact with the market. And so you're not falling afoul of company logic. It's no, like we're totally oriented around how our customer exists, how they're thinking about this problem so that we can empathize, relate, and lead, right? Like that's really what you have to be able to do. If you want people to come into your business, they're not, they're not going to walk in by themselves. Like you have, you can set up automated marketing and all that stuff, but all that stuff is to just lead them to your front door. That's not going to happen. If, if you don't know the conversation that's going on in their head and you don't understand what they're looking for. Yeah. Right. Cause you like this, the only way I have found to reliably discover it is getting into conversation with people who are in that buying cycle. Absolutely. And, and this is one of the hardest things to do. You know, I, I, you know, I know from my own experience, we get in this expert mindset, we're too close to our things, we have our babies mm. and the darlings that we don't want to kill, and we can't see the label from inside the jar. So, you know, don't, if, if you're struggling, don't beat yourself up, but do, you know, do get some help with it if you are struggling, because it's the number one thing that will, I think, you know, make or break your business succeeding. So yeah, really, really important stuff. Totally. And like my mentor, Kevin Rogers, he's an amazing copywriter. He's, he's since kind of retired from doing the work and he's moved into kind of a, a freelance copywriting coach. Um, his go-to move whenever he was, whenever he was signing up with a new client was where's the dialogue, where are the sales calls, where, where is you having customer support tickets with people? Where are people emailing in? Show me all the places where the customer is communicating with you. And he would just, the reviews, the, the bad reviews, the good reviews, like where are, is the market 
using their words because that's that's what I need. That's what I want because that will show you how they're thinking. And if you can see how they're thinking, then you can you can influence their thinking. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Okay, so we've got you as a, a copywriter. And how then did you shift from doing that to what you do today, which is help people get out of this, you know, feast, famine, bore burnout, launch, uh, roller coaster cycle and with the open everyday system. How did that come about? Yeah, so I, I, I worked as a copywriter. I got away from engineering, started freelancing. Then I made the leap to full-time freelancing um, and that went great. Uh, uh, Kevin Rogers, amazing coach and, and, and guide on, on that journey. Leveraged his decades of experience freelancing and, and he steered me through it. Um, and then I was presented with an opportunity to get a job again. Um, it was with a company and a huge company in the education space, online courses space. And they uh, were looking for someone to become a director of growth. Now, from an engineering perspective, like I had managed teams and I had, you know, in my freelance, I had done a small bit of like freelance marketing manager stuff as well, but I was more interested in the copywriting. But then this position was offered to me and it was kind of too good to give up because um, it was just going to be so, I was, I was going to get a PhD in marketing for that types of businesses, the company that was doing it was exceptionally uh, well run. Uh, the person that was running the company who would mentor me was a genius. Um, I just, there was too many upsides. And I said, I'm going to take this position. Um, and so I went back to do that. And throughout that whole time, that company was largely running the launch model. So the launch model is very kind of like do a big event and, big coordinated push from multiple partners and pre-launch content and lead up and then cart open and then close down with the scarcity. Um, it's a very well established kind of sales cycle. Um, that also has a lot of status and ego associated to it. Like you'd hear a lot of copywriters saying, Oh yeah, I've written, you know, four, five or $20 million launches, or we did a $10 million launch. Like it's always top line revenue associated to like uh, a campaign event. Um, and I went, everyone like wants to do a million dollar launch. Like you ask any young copywriter, like what's the goal? And they all want to be like, I want to be the big gun who can do the big packages and run the big campaigns. So I did that. And then very quickly burnt out. I had been doing launches with other clients of mine as well. And big launches, small launches, million dollar launches, you know, twenty thousand dollar launches, and hated it. It was just like the whole cycle was exhausting, and I also hated the way it treated the customer. It was it treated them like an idiot to some extent. Not to say that launches are bad, but like the way a lot of launches are done, it's kind of like you know, we're closing this down, and you have to buy before Sunday, and we don't know when we're going to sell it again, and. There was a lot of people doing that and then selling the program. Like they knew they were going to be selling it six months later um, or they closed it down and the launch didn't go the way they wanted. So they're, they're, they know they're going to open the cart next week to get more sales or selling it again in two months. And it's just, it seems so disingenuous to me. And just from a, from a sustainability perspective, lifestyle perspective, I hated it. It was just like, 
Oh. So I had left engineering and now I was working in this space and I was again, it was like Intel again, right? I'm in the position everyone wants to be in and I fucking hate it. Um, so I went and I uh, spoke with Mr. Dean Jackson, who's a friend and, and mentor. And he had a great track record of helping like people that want to get their own thing going. And I did some work with him and he helped me devise the idea of writing a book, which is the book you mentioned, Open Every Day. And I said, Dean, I don't know how to, like, I had a vision in my mind for what the system would look like to help people sell consistently all year round without the launch model. Because I knew my clients didn't want to do it. They're only doing the launches because it was the only thing they could find effectively to make it work, make sales happen. Um, but I had a vision in my head for how I would do it from an engineering perspective, like system flow. And I said, Dean, I haven't done it. He's like, it doesn't matter. Write the book on it. Some people would be interested. You'll get some case studies. You'll get some early adopters. And then you'll take it from there. And that's exactly what happened. I kind of wrote the book. Instantly, when I wrote the book, I had like three people say, would you like to do that for me? Which was more to do with my track record and reputation than the book itself. But they did want the results uh, that the book kind of spoke about and spent like two, three years behind the scenes working with some private clients in kind of a results-only fashion. And that got us like the guts of the system. Uh, and then from there, decided to do some like uh, coaching, consulting on it. And then from there, it created kind of a program, which you joined the first version of. And now it's just evolved where the same system has gone through so many iterations now that it's it works. It works great, um, but it's kind of been refined over and been battle tested with like, you know, I'm doing it for hundreds of businesses now at, at, at this stage. Um, and and but, but the spark was, I do not want to do this. This way of doing things is not what I want. I want to do it this other way which is probably how most experts kind of have figured out to do their stuff, right? Is like, they disagree with everyone else. You're doing it wrong, guys. <laughs> this is how you actually do it. Um, that was the story that kind of got us to, to that point. And so why does, in your opinion, the open everyday mm -hmm. system work better than the launch model? Well, I want to qualify better. It's an interesting word, better. I would, I would state that the launch model is the best model if you're trying to launch something. Like if you're trying to get something out in the world, i.e. you want to launch it, I would say, launch it. <laughs> Do the launch campaign, right? Um, now, the launch does very well at one thing, which is get a whole bunch of new people into your world, tell them about your thing, build some excitement about it, and get a big group of customers to start the thing at once. And... For certain business objectives, that's what you should try to do. The issue that I was seeing was that people did that and they do it once and they're like, oh my God, I made a bunch of money. That was exciting. Can we do it again? So they go and they do it again, right? Like they did the launch, they served the customers then they had to take a break because they had this massive campaign followed by an intense period of delivery and then they relax and then the money starts thrown out and they're like, oh, I need more money. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go and sell the thing again. How did I sell it? Work last time. Let's try another launch. And they would go and do that. And then that cycle just starts to repeat. And then eventually people are like, well, I, I, wanna, I don't want to have to do the launch all the time. Can I do an evergreen funnel? And they try to build an evergreen funnel, which is, but can I create like this? Can I take the launch, but then just create an opt-in and run traffic to it? and try and sell people with the same campaign and that doesn't work as well <laughs> right like most people find that that's not enough uh money it doesn't deliver enough money to sustain their sustain their business um 
So they're stuck going back to the, the launch. And what I noticed was that most people didn't want to have to do the launch all the time, but they did want consistent sales. They wanted to even out their cash flow, even out their revenue, even out their workload, rather than the big boom busts, as you would say, feast of famine uh, cycle of, of like launch and the money, money running out. Now, where I think the open everyday model uh, is better than the launch is launches only are considering how do you get customers to buy now? And if you look at a, let's say a portfolio, a bundle of leads, say a thousand, a certain percentage of those folks will buy in the next three months, right? Most of them are going to buy later. Like if you take the thousand leads, let's take, let's take 2000 leads to make the math easy. 2000 leads, half of them will not buy anything from anyone in the marketplace. Over two years, half of them will not buy anything. They were just curious, non-buyers, looky-loose. Half of them will buy something from someone in the marketplace. Now, if you look at the timeframes they buy, out of those thousand that did buy, about 150, 15% will buy in the first 90 days. The other 850, 85% will buy after 90 days. And most launches don't consider that reality at all. Most evergreen funnels don't consider it. They're trying to get all the new leads to buy in seven to 14 days. And if they don't buy, forget about it. With the Open Everyday system, what we're trying to do is get the people in, but then how are you playing the long game? How do you get the maximum number of sales from those leads over time? And shocker, it's not to be like beating them over the head every, you know, constantly, which is like buy now, buy now, buy now. It's, it's about building the relationship with them, right? It's about, again, giving space and time for your authentic you to get communicated, to build trust and demonstrate that you know what you're doing and share case studies, but offering lots of opportunities for people to get started. So when the time is right for them, customer logic, right? They'll come in rather than just selling twice a year when you're ready to sell, company logic, right? You, you'll see way better, way better results from the overall bundle of leads that you've, that you've got. So I would say it is better at, at maximizing the revenue you'll get from a portfolio of leads over time, but the launch is much better at getting a big number of people to join it, I would say, uh, uh, in a single moment. Brilliant. Does that answer the question? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I've been interested to see being inside Open Every mm. Day um, is the the sort of intersection of storytelling in the mm. system because there mm -hmm. is a lot of that um i think in you know we talked you, you talked about building the relationship and nurturing those 850 the 85% and a big part of that is sharing value at a lot of storytelling as well is, would you say that's true yeah yeah uh, so yes I, I would say that's 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 true i don't think it's exactly what you have to do but if all you did was tell stories, you'd be totally fine. Yeah. What's your observation? Because you've been in it. So what do you see the, is the intersection between the storytelling so, and what we're doing? So I think this is the th thing. I think it's, you know, like you say, it's not about banging people over the head and selling, but it is, it's about, and it's back to those things that you talked about earlier, which is, you know, bringing your personality into the, into play in the content yeah. that you share with your audience. Um, 
and just you know but making it you know conversational entertaining uh value add and i think you know th- th- when i say storytelling in terms of the way that i talk about storytelling is that there is some some sort of business message takeaway thing in there and i think it's a it's a big part of it but you are very similar to me in that you help people find you know it's not about being this creative you know jk rowling shakespeare dickens it's about finding those everyday things that happen to you that you can then you know dial into the dialogue of your audience and yep. and and make it relevant for them too so i think that's my take on it is that yeah so 100% right? 100% so so if i was to like organize this through like the importance of what you're trying to do so one of the principles of copy right is the question that a lot of people will ask when students are learning about copywriting first is uh what's the purpose of a headline right what's what what's the what are you trying to accomplish with it what's the job of a headline and the answer is surprising to some people when they're learning about it but the purpose of the headline is to get you to read the next line yeah right and the purpose of the next line is to get you to read the following line and so on and so on and so on until you get down to the offer which is like do you want this thing and if you do your job right and if you take people through the right psychology while you're taking them through that uh they will be the right person looking at the offer and that you you'll get a yes now you can extrapolate that principle out and you'd ask what's the purpose of an email well, if you're playing the long game, the purpose of an email is to get you to want to read the next email, right? Like it's to get you going, wow, that was worth reading. I enjoyed that. That was that was different. That was not boring, right? Now, you could do that just by writing slapstick slash funny, entertaining emails that have no relevance to business, but then you start to lose relevance, right? You're, you're trying to stay relevant. And so your goal, I would say, as an expert, as a marketer, is to entertain, i.e. like, yo, I, I, I enjoyed that. Entertaining doesn't have to be like, a, as you said, Dickens or, or Rowling or whatever, but it is to entertain, but also it's to it's to educate, right? You, you want to be sharing your way of thinking with people, i.e. going back to those parts, right? Like I help these people solve this problem and do this thing in this way, Here's how I think about the problem. Here's how I dimensionalize all of that. And stories are just naturally entertaining. They're they're a, a vehicle to communicate information that humans cannot but help tune into, right? Like anytime someone's got the intention of an entire group, it's probably, naturally, I would say, it's because they're telling some sort of, of story. Uh, and so... Stories are incredible because what are stories but a retelling of a series of events that happened in the past, right? And 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 you could do that well or you could do that poorly. But if you're just telling stories about what you've done in the past, what is it showing? It shows, it shows your life experience. And if you can select the right stories, like you can do so much. You can demonstrate your capability. Like if I tell you a story of how I helped this client, like what does that do? One, it shows that I was in this scenario with this client, so I've got reference experience. Two, it allows me to demonstrate the type of problems I solve for clients because I, those are probably the same problems that you've got. 
It shows my my solution, how I thought about solving the problem, what the clients were seeing, what they were missing. And if you can do that while also just being yourself and having like lingo and like all the stuff that we do in the real world, right? Like your personality shines through and it's just incredibly, it's incredibly powerful. And like, you can do that with client-based stories, but you can also, as you said, you can do it with other stories. Like I have some of my favorite stories and the ones that have gotten the best response have nothing to do with business. Like I'll write about a video game or I'll write about like traveling through Toronto airport in the middle of a pandemic and I like, it's, it's an interesting story, but then you need to relate it to what's relevant for the market, i.e. pull the business insight out of that, or it's related to something that the market is, is dealing with. And that way you're entertaining them. It's worth reading. And then you continue to build a relationship because as you said, right, people start to know you, they start to like you, they start to trust you. And then you're in the conversation, Right. You're in the conversation and and then Sarah is, you know, Ross hasn't heard from Sarah in months, if not a year, but something happens in her life where she's like, you know, we really need to get this marketing problem sorted. What are we going to do? Like Ross is already in that conversation because he's, he's been staying relevant. He's been, he's in the inbox. He's seen tomorrow when Sarah goes to check her email. Oh yeah. I forgot about Ross. He'd be perfect. Right. And all the, the heavy lifting work has, has been there. So you know, there's many different ways to do it, but stories are just, there's so much potential to build authority and demonstrate your expertise and your capability and your character through them that, you know, it's uh, like, what have you done to discover me? But ask me about my stories of like, well, how did you get into this? And how did you get into that? And, and, and like, it's just such a natural vehicle to communicate that information that I think most people would be daft not to, not to use them. Absolutely. Or to get good at telling them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and so what does an open everyday business look like from the perspective of the owner and the client if we've not already covered this? I'd ask you, what's your perspective on that? Like I'm happy to share my perspective, but like you're you're you've been running the model here now. From from your perspective of, as the business owner, like what is it what does it look like and, and how has it been different? As the business owner, I think it's it is a completely um, comfortable. I'm trying to find the right word to describe it. You can use multiple words. That's, that's yes, totally I yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can use three. No, um, yeah, it's like it's it's much more relaxed. It is. Mm -hmm. I feel more confident that a that people will be treated in the right way. Um, not that I wasn't doing it before, but I was following that launch model in the same way that other people do. And, you know, and you all those things that you said, the downsides of it are, are there. Um, and also I know that I'm not going to, you know, people, I'm not focusing on the short term only. And I mm. think that's the thing The pre it feels like the pressure's off, if that makes sense that I know that at some point in time, if I do the job right and people are the right people are in my world. So I've done all the right things that to attract them in by having those, you know, that, that dialogue and those things clear, then eventually they'll pop up. So I'm really confident in the future and I feel like it's sustainable. So I think that's it for me. And I think I'm certainly since I've been working with you, finding better, how can I put it, better qualified people coming in, 
then you know and having more of the people that I want to work with pop up and say hey Sarah you're the one for me um than I did before so that's that's what it feels like for me yeah and and uh, the thing that jumps out to me from your answer there is less pressure mm. and I would say that's the junction between the two. So your question is like, what does it mean from the perspective of the customer and from the business owner? Like the launch model is scarcity based. Yeah. Right. It's urgency based. And there's nothing wrong with urgency. Don't get me wrong. A sense of urgency is important and understanding the urgency of your market is, will get you better results. But it's about understanding the urgency of the market and communicating to that rather than trying to manufacture a sense of urgency and then using that to manipulate people into buying. Like if my phone dies today, I don't need Apple to do anything but to wait for me to show up to the store and give them more money. That's internal urgency in my world. I have a bleeding neck that I need to have solved. And I'm just going to be going to Apple to, 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 to solve that problem, right? Now, the other thing that we need to be aware of, though, is that when marketers are taught to use the launch model or teach you to use the launch model, scarcity underlines the whole thing. And oftentimes the scarcity, again, company logic, is the marketer's sense of scarcity. They need people to buy, they have a lot riding on this campaign. And so they are trying to put a lot of pressure into it because if you really need something to work, yeah, you would go and you would manipulate the hell out of people. If you really need the money and you're very self-focused, like let's be, re let's be real here. Humans are self-serving <laughs> primarily. Yes. And when the pressure's on, like you'd be surprised a lot of people would be willing to beat their neighbor over the head. If it, if it comes down to them or the neighbor, like, and that sounds dark, but like, that's, that's, that's the reality. Like that's well-worn throughout your mind. Like civilization beats that back. And I think that's why we're all here and why it's worth preserving. But when push comes to shove, like that's, that's how it goes down. And so when people are desperate, they will do desperate things. And the scarcity from launch campaigns often is down to that. People have so much writing on it. And they put so much pressure on it because they believe if the people don't buy now, they're never going to buy. Mm -hmm. And if you know this is your only chance to convert people, i.e. your only chance to help them, you would sacrifice the relationship in the pursuit of the transaction because that's what you do. And you talk to some big name marketers, the amount of churn they have in their worlds and their lists is insane. Like I look, I hear some of the stories from some top level marketers and they'll say, yeah, I, don't, I just clean people off my list after 90 days because they're never going to buy from me. And I'm like, bro, like if you look at my numbers, like most of the sales happen after that point if you treat people the right way. And exactly what you said, if you take the pressure off yourself, if you take the pressure off the conversation with the market, knowing that like, if I just demonstrate I'm the best person, like you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna choose me. Yeah. And if I was to do that, well, a smart person would look to demonstrate that not just over 14 days. You'd look to be demonstrating that over 14 months. Like if if my competition, if you want to hear from my competition when they're launching, I am drip feeding into your inbox every week, all year round. You know I'm here. Here's another case study. Here's another problem I solved, right? 
that stacks up. You build a case over a long period of time, so it's much more compelling. And the churn rates in my business are very low because people are coming in when the time is right for them and they have chosen me. And it's because I don't pressure them into the situation. In fact, anytime I used urgency, i.e. an actual like big deadline, like one time I tripled my prices and a whole bunch of people came in and the sales were awesome and then they all disappeared. <laughs> right, like they still paid me and they still made use of the program, but engagement came right in because of the scarcity, and then and then that was it was gone. Versus the chamber, the program that you're in, like we have 90, 95% engagement in that program, people showing up week in, week out. Like it's 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 and it's because people coming in are coming in at the right time. It's mm -hmm. I didn't pressure them into it. I offered the opportunity to try and solve this problem with me, and people are like, Yeah, this is this is the right move. Um, and I would say that's that's the difference in experience for the individual and for the um, for the customer. There's a there's a sense of sustainability across both things because you're not trying to put all like people burn out with launches because they try to do too much because they think if if this doesn't pay off, like I'm gonna lose these people. But if you know that you're trying to find people every month, like it's a different game you're playing, and it's a game that's that's far more fun in my experience. Absolutely. Brilliant. Cool. Right. Last question before we go into the standard ones. Yes. How do you use speaking in your business? That's a really interesting question. I will say if I look back at the some of the big inflection points in my career, one of which was that UFC article, I would say what really put me on to the next level was actually taking that UFC article and turning it into a training inside mm -hmm. in a in a community that I was a big member of that training probably earned me half a million dollars over cool. the time of the like the leads that were generated and how much they paid me is easily half a million dollars that came from that one training alone and that pushed me on like I just got a message today I, I saw it today maybe the person messaged me in the last couple of weeks I haven't been inside in the community that I was in and they were like, hey, I know you're the like USP guy and I have some questions. And like still to this day, people reach out to me after seeing that training um, because it did the job of demonstrating that I'm a, an authority and an expert and people come to me looking for help on that, on that topic. That has happened like multiple times where when I go to speak on a specific topic, it, it just, it leads to a new wave of, of, of folks coming in. Now I would say that that happened because I was not regularly speaking. If I was regularly speaking, I think it'd be a bit, a bit different, mm. but there's, there's nothing quite like listening to someone speak. Um, like what was it that like Dean Jackson used a term before it's like, uh, the the hollow echo of the imitation is easily detected when you tap the outside of of whatever that object is right like the real thing feels and sounds solid like i take this iphone i tap it like this, this is a, this is a solid piece of equipment and speaking is like live like it's it can be rehearsed but like you listening to someone speak you can tell that they know their stuff or not um and i have definitely found that that is the probably the single best way to build a warm audience is to speak in front of them. And, yeah. and so it's something we're going to be doing an awful lot more of here over the next while. Cause like I've been busy building the thing in the back end and we did ads 
Um, but I would say, honestly, we get the leads into our world and I write the emails, but it's when people see me on video, that's when they really go, oh, this guy is, when they hear me speak recording, like that's really when, when I think it, it starts to resonate with them. Um, and yeah, our goal is we're going to bring our partnerships and whatnot. And that's going to be all about how we go to speak to, to other people's audiences. Um, and like, what happens? You go speak, people hear about you, they come to your world. They sign up and then you want to be able to say, awesome. Like, let's continue that momentum. Would you like to come in and work with me mm. versus with the launch model? It's like, awesome. You heard about me. Get on my wait list. I'm launching in six months. Like <laughs> that energy and that, that, that tension and that desire of like resonating with something and wanting to like spit, like, you know, sometimes you just hear someone speaking, like I need more of this person in my world. Right. And I, I just think like the open everyday model allows you to, to like leverage that and roll with that momentum because again customer logic that person wants more of you now mm. not when you're decided with your company logic when you're going to try and sell in, in six months time absolutely and i see i see evidence of that all the time it's you know so absolutely brilliant okay so thank you for sharing all of that I have a few standard questions. Thank you for such thoughtful questions, Sarah. <laughs> well, thank you. It's very clear that you were digging through my old content in preparation for, for this interview. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I want to make the most of you uh, for people to get uh, all some of the value that I, I uh, get exposed to. So that's cool. Right. So question number one. Yes. What has speaking done for you? Apart from a new half a million from that one. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would say I would say speaking has um, basically opened the doorway into the business that I have right now. Yeah, I, I would say like the current version of the business. I think start like the latest version. I should say uh, is of a result of me deciding to do like a monthly workshop. Mm. uh like starting last year and that's just built a whole bunch of momentum where i had the realization it's like yo anytime i've spoken for other people's audiences like it's it's moved me on to this other level i'm like why am i speaking to my own audience all the time right and so um like i've realized i had a skill in presenting years back like again one of those things that i was just better at than the average bear um and by leaning into that at certain times it's just it's opened the doors to so many other opportunities and like i would say like yeah writing and speaking are like the two things i think that have basically allowed me to forge um the future that i wanted yeah brilliant and has there ever been a, a speaking gig that you just like when you look back and you're like oh my goodness i wish i just want to erase that from my memory has that has, has that ever happened to you that's a good that's a good question um not really that I, I qualify this in the sense that I've not really done that many like speaking gigs. Um, there's a couple of university presentations that I would like to revisit and like found quite embarrassing because I was just um unprepared for them. But I would say I, I have not had that in any professional capacity because I have only been invited to speak on certain things that had caught the attention of someone else. And the thing that caught their attention was something that I was clearly so passionate about 
that I had created this amazing piece of content. And so I was, I was like going to do that, that justice. I, I've not, if I was on a, on the regular speaking circuit more frequently, I probably would have had a couple of those, but uh, I've been fortunate enough not to have those uh, that, that happened just, just yet. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Uh, next question. What's the book that's had most impact on your life and why? That's, that's a good one. I, I would, I would say it's a name two and it's mm-hmm. a toss up between the two of them. Uh, first one is the four hour work week by Tim mm-hmm. Ferriss. Yeah. Like, which is, you know, such a common answer in our circle, but for me coming from like an engineering background where I, I wasn't even thinking about marketing, like, Tim Ferriss's book really the way he simplified marketing down in that book made it feel like I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that put a vision in my mind of what my life could be like with location independence and yeah. working for myself. And uh, it lit a fire in me. It lit, it lit That book lit the entrepreneurial fire in me, I would say for sure. And I would say that is, is probably the, um, that is probably the, definitely the the one that has had the, the longest reaching impact from a life direction perspective. I would say from a practical professional perspective, uh, The Lean Startup by uh, Eric Reese, I think it is. I can't remember his name. I think it's Eric Reese. Um, yeah, that book and the concept of like a minimum viable product and testing and iterating and only building what people need applying that to product development but also from a marketing perspective like i see it like all like it's just a, it's a principle that i've learned and i just apply like left and right at all times and i try to get my clients to to, okay. to implement right like don't over invest sell the thing first and then build it after like if no one's going to buy it there's no point building it and only build version one don't try and create the masterpiece and um, so i would say those two books probably have had the biggest biggest impact yeah for sure brilliant what's the best bit of business advice you've had and why that one is an easier one to um oh no it's not I'll, again two <laughs> so, so so one of the one of the big things i learned from a guy called ramit sethi um mm-hmm. ramit's very talented brilliant dude um in one of his courses he talked about on the concept of negotiation um and salary negotiation and getting paid he framed the lesson around why you wouldn't want to negotiate a top salary. Right. Um, and the frame was around, well, what top performers do is they don't try and go for the big salary position. They optimize for learning, knowing that the rewards will come. Right. Um, if you can put yourself in positions to learn more and build capabilities, your value, you will be in a position to be able to create more value. The, what you get paid is a result of the value that you produce. And so what a top performer would do would be to figure out how you can put yourself in whatever position you can to maximize the amount of learning that you can get, knowing that if I get enough learnings and I build enough capabilities, like I'll be able to charge whatever, whatever I want. So it is like a deferred long-term thinking strategy but applying that to a professional context is what you know as i mentioned earlier taking that position when i was already a freelancer like that position didn't pay top of the market rates with my marketing and copywriting skill set at that time 
I, I could have got another position elsewhere, just writing copy in like a financial space or a health supplement space. But I was not interested in that. I wanted, I wanted the experience and the learnings from being in that more position. And I took a, took the position, even at a reduced salary rate for that position. I was like, I don't care. Just mm. get me, get me the learnings. I know I will learn so much in this that the rewards I'll get after it will be way beyond, um, way beyond even taking the, 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 uh, the financial copywriting positions. Right. And, and I'd have more enjoyment. So I'd say that's probably the biggest learning I got from, from the business business perspective. There's another answer, but I think that one's good enough. Yeah. I think that's so true. I think that's so true. Um, excellent. Okay. Last question. If you can have one mentor and they can be mm. alive or dead fictional mm. or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Oh, wow. Damn. That's a stretch. So I could have one mentor, alive or dead, fictional, fictional or, or whatever. Non-fictional. Yeah. Who would I choose? Um, yeah. It's an interesting question because I'm having a hard time zeroing in and like, well, would I even choose a professional one? Would it be a life one? Would it be a philosophy one um what's the first name that comes to your head or character yeah like it's interesting like you know the first thing that came to head was like socrates or something like that like one of these ancient like you know stoic or, or, or philosophers and whatnot um like the kind of you know mac daddy godfathers of like critical thinking um i don't know why because i don't like i haven't even read that much Socrates, but that name that, that that's branding for you. You know, I mean, it just popped into my <laughs> popped into my head. Um, yeah, like I I think um, I think it's I, I wouldn't be able to pick an individual, but I think the there is something to having that like a mentor around, like how to be in the world, as opposed to that's what I would probably choose right now. I guess is what I'm saying, rather than like a business mentor. Because I think, you know, business is is business and the principles are there and the, the people that are alive today, I think we're, are just as good as the, as the people that were alive back then. Um, I think that we're living in a in an age of now a kind of irrationality and all that. And like having someone like Marcus Aurelius as your as your mentor, I think let's go with Marcus Aurelius. I think that's like having like that's one of us like a stoic teacher of like how to be and and, and show up in the world and operate in the world when it's like it's not a friend we like to put a friendly spin on things but it can be pretty it can be pretty brutal out there and i think having someone that could guide you through how to make it a better place while like living in integrity and like what you need to be to do that i think that's probably who i'd go with yeah great answer we haven't had marcus aurelius before so there we go that's great okay smashing well ross thank you so much for sharing all of that stuff now i'm gonna put a link in the show notes to uh the open everyday book which people can go and get to see what the system's like find out more about uh you as well um if they do want to find out more about you though where's the best place for them to go is it the book to start off with or somewhere else um like there's stuff on the website and you can download a couple of other things if you want as well but i would just go to yeah open everyday book and that'll be the front door into everything else that we do see what resonates, click to, to find out more. But uh, I'm a pretty consistent emailer. Um, I'm on social, but I'm not really on social. I'm, I'm much more of a email writing kind of person. That's my game. So that's where you'll get the message. You can follow along there. Smashing. Now, is there anything else that you 
feel that you need to say in order to call this interview complete? Um, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I think, um, like the concept of speaking, you know what I mean? Um, one of the things that I would say is, uh, like the world is in a bit of a weird place at the moment, (laughs) right? Like the last few years have been a little strange and, you know, there's definitely a whole like encroachment of, you know, liberties and and free speech and that's not being a conspiracy theorist saying that at all i think we've all kind of felt this mm. um and i think speaking is is important you know what i mean um and i think standing up for free speech is is, is important uh because like you speaking is thinking you know what i mean and like we all speak out loud to speak our thoughts to even find out what the hell we think i know i when i'm writing something i don't even i don't even know what i'm thinking when i'm writing it i'm writing and i'm figuring it out uh, as um as i'm doing it and i think speaking is the is the same and so i just encourage everyone when you're doing your speaking speak and say what you think you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's an act of courage and it's an act of uh it's an act of of civil i would say duty to like you don't need to go out and start sharing your political beliefs with absolutely everyone but like take the risk and say what you think needs to be said i would say that's probably on the concept of just speaking in general um you know, you're, you're never going to say something and not upset someone. So you might as well figure out who you want to speak to and say what you really want to say to that person without kind of shirking and, and uh, falling foul of maybe your anxieties of how other people will react. You know, say, say what you think and, and, and think what you say. Great stuff. Great stuff. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much again for sharing all of that. Uh, and I'll, I will see you in, uh, in class. Absolutely, sir. Thank you so much for having me. It's been one of the best interviews I've had in recent memory. So I tip my hat to you. Thank you. There you go. I hope you found that useful. Ross is, is a great storyteller. As I said, he's got a wicked sense of humour. And on top of that, he is the real deal when it comes to results. I love working with him. And when I first grabbed his book, it really opened my eyes up to a different way of doing business. And I've got to say, the surprises have kept on coming from him. So if you want to build a better, stronger business without burning out, then do grab a copy of Ross's book, Open Every Day. And the link to grab it is in the show notes for you. And the other thing that I wanted to say before I head off is um, if you have been booked to speak or you want to be and you want to talk that your audience will love, that you're unreasonably excited to share and gets you new clients without anyone feeling pitched to, then you'll probably want to grab a spot on my next masterclass. I'll be sharing my talk blueprint and we'll apply it to your topic and you'll walk away knowing exactly what you need to put in your talk so that you can rock the room. It's a two-hour workshop and you can grab your spot at saraharcher.co.uk slash masterclass. Well, it's brilliant to be back. Thank you so much again for choosing to listen to The Speaking Club. And if you got value from this episode or other shows as well, and you haven't yet left a review, I would be so grateful if you could do that. Just leave an honest rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. Or of course, wherever you're listening, whatever platform that is, there will be an opportunity for you to do the same thing there. And I will catch you next time. But until then, you know what I'm going to say. 
don't forget to go out and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. One of the things that I teach you on my masterclass has been a game changer for lots of people. The trouble is that we're often too close to our thing to present it in the way our audience needs to see it and hear it to get the results that we want. That's where this powerful live interactive masterclass comes in. I'm going to be taking you through my proven six-step heart map blueprint for creating powerful authentic talks and content using stories that connect with your audience and get them into action. Here's some feedback from previous attendees. Definitely a value-packed two hours for anyone wanting to engage with their audience. Well worth signing up for Sarah's Masterclass if you want to make your content connect with your audience. Recommend it massively. Best two hours I've spent all year. I know your time is precious. That's why I guarantee that if you don't leave this Masterclass knowing exactly what you need to include in your next talk to get more engagement and sales, then I require you to ask for your money back. Grab your space to work with me on your talk at the next masterclass over at saraharcher.co.uk slash masterclass.